welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about influencing yield in corn right now. I will just say, though, if you don't have corn on your farm, a lot of these same concepts are going to apply to just about any crop that there is. So if you got any questions about that or anything that's going on in your farm, if you want to give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, so when we talk about influencing yield in corn right now, uh, the corn is <laughs> really variable. There's some corn that's fully tasseled out in the southern United States. There's some corn that has just gone in the ground on a lot of farms all over. So I would just say we're not going to talk about every last stage in corn. But some of the key things that we always discuss are weed, insect, and disease control to go along with fertility. So let me start there. With weed control, one of the things we've seen if you look at the drought monitor in the United States anyway, uh, there are a lot of areas that are somewhat dry, if not even extremely dry right now, which means that a lot of the residual herbicides that we were counting on to give us early season weed control, they just haven't worked real great. Now, they'll still kill weeds at some point whenever it rains. So it might be the middle of the summer and they'll kill weeds, but I'm just saying uh, it's not like you wasted your money. It's just that if Let's say you do have small corn right now. I mean, there are a lot of people in the northern United States that have V3 to V5 corn, and it's pretty weedy. You're going to have to maybe use a little higher rate. You're going to maybe have to use an additional product or something like that if you want extra control. So I'd just be really paying attention to what do we have out there for weeds and how big are they? Because small weeds, way easier to kill than big weeds. So just something for you to keep in mind there, but don't don't get too shook up that, hey, the, the pre didn't work great if you are in an area that hasn't had much rain. I was just <laughs> tell, I was talking to another farmer this morning and I said, yeah, um, in the last like 40 days, we've had a grand total of maybe three quarters of an inch. He's like, what? Really? That's it? I go, yeah. Now, we've had a couple of fields that have had a bunch of rain, but it's been really spotty for rainfall. So our prees are not working like they normally would either. That's just the way it goes sometimes. So this is why we talk quite often about trying to till in your pre-emerge herbicides or putting them on very early so you have a better chance for rainfall. Just, I mean, there are ways that we can work around that. But anyway, when we talk about today and weed control, if you've got relatively small corn yet, absolutely we want to get after it, get those weeds stopped, because if you have weeds out in your cornfield, they are hurting your yield today. Now, as I say that, when your corn gets big, then it's a little different story. Once you're past a foot tall corn, then weed control isn't about yield so much anymore. It's more about just stopping those weeds from going to seeds. They don't add to next year and the future's seed bank. So, I, I, I mean... Big difference. When we're talking, our topic today is influencing yield in corn now. I'd say if your corn is less than a foot tall, you can absolutely impact yield, and sometimes in a big way, by killing the weeds. Once your corn is big, I mean, yeah, you might want to stop those weeds from seeding out, but it's probably not going to help your yield. 
Fungicide, that's the one where a lot of people still have this on their checklist for the summer. I'm going to spray a fungicide on my farm, but the question is when. Really, it all depends on when the weed, or I should say when the diseases show up. So like in our area, we're real dry. The odds of early season diseases, much less than normal. But the last couple of years, actually last probably five years, our humidity in July and August has actually been more than Miami, Florida. (laughs) And yes, we are in South Dakota. So what I'm saying is we end up with more of a tropical climate later on in the summer. So what's that tell you? That means that later on in the summer, we have more chance for disease. If that same thing happens again this year, think about it for timing. Does it do you a lot of good to spray a fungicide today when that fungicide is only going to last two or three weeks and it only protects the leaves it covers? Or is it better to wait and at least let the ear leaf get out on corn? By the way, the ear leaf on corn is the most important leaf. And just spray a little bit later on and hope for the best then. You know, I I, I would absolutely be taking a look at that. And you have to pay attention to the weather because, unfortunately, you can't scout for disease, see the disease, then spray it and expect to still get 100% of your yield. Fungicides are great at preventing disease, lousy at curing disease. And fungicides don't move in the plant. They're basically stuck. So you've got to have fantastic spray coverage. All right, insects. And let me throw mites in there as well. In dry years, then we are more likely to see spider mites because they don't get the fungal pathogens that they typically will under more wet and humid conditions. So you might have mites, you might have insects. What we always say is, hey, just have some product on hand. You can always return it at most dealers. Just talk to them in advance. But just have some product on hand. So before you go out spraying anything, whether it's a fungicide or a herbicide or foliar fertilizer, you can throw the insecticide in if you need it. So scouting is really the key. And then I guess the last thing in terms of fertility that we'll open the show with here. If we're talking about influencing corn yield right now, well, I think you and I both know what the big nutrient is that everybody talks about. It's nitrogen. What we encourage you to do, though, is soil testing. You don't have to do extensive soil testing. We were talking about this on the show the other day. On our farm last fall, so we do one-acre soil test grids, and we tested most of our acres last fall. I know we polled over 3,000 grid points. Think about that. We ran over 3,000 soil tests on our farm. We're probably only going to run, I was guessing, on the low side 35 and the high side 50 pre-sidrus nitrate tests. So at most, we're pulling 50 total tests on our 3,500 acres for nitrogen. We want to find out how much nitrogen do we have in the top 12 inches? What do we have in the, the 12 to 24 inch range? Do some soil testing before you go spending a bunch of money because you might have more nitrogen there than you think. You also might have less. It's really important to find out what what you actually have in the soil because you don't want to be wasting money for what nitrogen costs. And yes, nitrogen prices have come down, but I still want to call them super cheap. So be responsible with that. Stay tuned. We'll talk corn yield right after this. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spend spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. 
This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school. It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Oh! Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for. No, 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 no! Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutritia N Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutritia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Broadcasting from the Morton Studio talking about influencing yield right now in cornfields. What can you do to help yourself out? What are some things to watch out for that might hurt you? We will keep our phone lines open throughout the show if you would like to call and ask an agronomic question or if you want to get into this discussion on what can you do right now to help yourself in your cornfields. We'll start off with Abe Eubank when we jump on these phone lines. Uh, Abe, of course, works with TopCon. Thanks for joining us, Abe. Yeah, hey, guys. How y'all doing? Pretty good. All right. So we got corn out in the in the field, and stand looks pretty good. What's next? What are, what are some things we should be looking for, and, and what are some ways growers can help, help themselves to manage their corn and work on improving it? Well, really, it's... Obviously, it's, it's all a matter of where you're at um, as to really what you're going to be looking for, what you're going to be considering doing. Here in, in my world down in, in Georgia, we're we're kind of a little bit all over the board. We got some late planted corn that's, you know, probably two or three weeks behind everything else, and we got some corn that's full tassel. So the corn is tasseling right now. We're looking primarily at two things. Number one, irrigation. Um we need to keep that plant, you know, under as little stress as, as we can possibly manage to uh, to make sure you know, we give it the most shot of success there. So we're watching that irrigation timing. We're keeping that plant cool, those roots cool. Number two that, that we're really looking for is disease pressure. So it's constant scouting of that crop, um, anything flaring up, whether it be rust or blight, you know, any of those things that that we can catch early in the season. That's what we're going to be looking for right now because really when it comes to disease, when you see it, you're too late. So when we, with our scouting, you know, we're, we're looking at the crop, but we're also thinking, all right, when can we get a fungicide out to, to really do, give us a preventative treatment and not so much a curative treatment? So those are our two main things that we're really looking at at this point in the season. 
Now, you mentioned reducing stress, and you're exactly right. Depending on where you're at, what stage you're in, you got different stresses going on. For us right now, it's hot and dry, like you mentioned with irrigation. If, you've, if you're set up with irrigation, you can certainly work on that as, as part of the solution. Um, you know, we've had a lot of different stresses this year already, and you mentioned the disease one, and that's one we've had so many questions on since last season that growers are worried about tar spot and they're worried about you know like you mentioned southern rust some of the real big bad ones out there if you got to be out in front of that uh how are you doing on that one abe are, are growers out putting on fungicide right now are they set up with high clearance sprayers or is it mostly an aerial thing um around us we get a mixture of both but yes fungicides are definitely going out that's a, a treatment that gets penciled in every year you know I would tend to say very few acres here in the, in the lower southeast do not get a fungicide application just because we're in such a, a hostile environment when it comes to different diseases. You know, we stay warm, we stay humid, you know, so very little air moving in that canopy. So we have to have a fungicide. It's really no, it's, it's not an option for us. And when that application goes out, most of it's going to go out with an airplane. Um, we we still have a great network of aerial applicators down here that, that we rely on yearly. and But we, we are starting to see more and more growers applying their own with, with high-clearance sprayers. Yeah, it's certainly a growing trend. There's no doubt about that. Just like to have those options for things that we can do. Uh, I've been talking with Abe Eubank here with Top Gun. Abe, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Yep, thanks, guys. Let's head up to Ontario. We've got Tom Trigano on with us right now with Azotic. How are you doing, Tom? Not too bad. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. Hey, one area that we get a lot of questions about is from the natural or biological end of agriculture. Yeah. And we're, we're hearing so much about stress reduction. Uh, what, what should we be looking for as farmers, especially in, in this corn crop that's growing so fast? Yeah, I mean, obviously biological is a a growing space, lots of noise, lots of new products out there. It, it's, you know, it's difficult to pin down, you know, what are we seeing in terms of, you know, stress uh, crop, you know. I think with some of these products, you know, you, you definitely need to look at, look at them over a number of years. Um, with product that we're working with, Invita, typically under a drought stress situation, we can sometimes start to see, um, you know, some benefits on, on using a product like Invita where you're getting less, um, certainly a lot less dieback as you would um, with some of the other products out there. Yeah, you mentioned looking at things over time, and I, I always talk to farmers about, let's try a few things on the farm each year. Let's always do some comparisons. Let's always try to be looking at new things. When you set up a trial, th this can be a little bit of a challenge, too, with something like Invita. Where, how do you do that? How, how should a grower go about treating part of the field, not the other? Yeah, so, you know, one thing that we found over the years, especially true with biologicals, is large trials, large strip trials is likely the, better, the best way to do it, if you can. I know that's tougher than just doing a block, um, but if it's possible to do a strip, I think you're going to get a much better idea of how they're working over, you know, over the, your field. Um, I think, you know, small plot research, I think, is good from a fundamental standpoint, and a lot of, you know, we've obviously done a lot lot of research in it but I think you know it's much better to get an understanding of how these products work if you're looking at it 
from a larger scale um, over a couple of years if possible. You know, we're, we tend to get massive, obviously every year we get differences in weather. You need to look at, look at them under at least a couple of years to get an understanding of how they're going to work for you. Uh, and I think a strip trial uh, is going to give you a much better indication of, of what you're seeing. Yeah, I love strip trials. And the good thing, yeah. too, like you mentioned, as you go across a whole field, you start to see, oh, okay, so in these areas where I was a little moisture stressed, I saw this. In these areas where everything was great, I saw that. Uh, I, I look at kind of defensive years where we've got a lot of stress versus offensive years where we just don't have much stress. If you get lucky and over a couple of years looking at a product, you get one of each, you, you can really learn a lot real fast. Oh, absolutely, right? And then that's the important, important looking at it from a few different years, right? If you're, you know, most like with Invita, the primary reason you're using it is really to, to push your yield, right? That's the end goal. Some of these other benefits are really side benefits and just things that you can look out for. But, you know, at the end of the day, you got to look at it over a couple of years to get an understanding of what's it going to do in a dry year, what's it going to do in a, in a wet year, um, and not just with Invita, but any product that's out there, you you got to look at it um, under you know different soil types if you can, different sections of your farm, uh, and that's ultimately that's going to give you the best idea how they work. I mean, there's no other better way to do it. You know, today we're we're our topic was influencing yield now in corn, but since we're talking about natural or biological products. I think corn gets a lot of attention, but man, there's some really nice results in other crops too. Yeah, yeah. So we've been, you know, obviously we started our research was on was on corn. Um, we have seen some really good results on on things like some of the higher value crops like potatoes um, and sugar beets, but even beans has been pretty consistent. Now, of course, it sounds odd. Why would you use a, a nitrogen fixing product on soybeans? But I think the one, the thing to look at it is they're very different on how they fix nitrogen. So I, I'd like to think of it, you know, it's like two different modes of action. Obviously, rhizobia is doing the vast majority of the heavy, heavy lifting there, but a product like Invita can can help fill those gaps where rhizobia isn't. You know, really, you know, with rhizobia, you're looking at between 40 and 60 percent of the nitrogens. Uh, what that soybean crop needs is coming from there, or the rest is from the soil. So if you can have another form to help it out, uh, it's been pretty consistent. So that's been um, that's been probably the most exciting bit of uh, research that we've seen over the last few years is the results on beans. Yeah, I think you always have to be trying new things out there and try them on some different crops too. I, I know corn gets so much of the attention, but we're talking to Tom Tregono oh, here with yeah. Azotic about potatoes, sugar beets, soybeans. And Brian mentioned this earlier too. He's like, yeah, you're going to hear stuff about corn today, but look at how it does with other crops too. This is exactly right. Tom, you're right on the money. Really appreciate having you on today. Oh, me too. Yeah, thanks again. You guys have a great day. You bet. You too. Talking about influencing yield right now in your fields. What can you do to reduce stress? What can you do to help your crop maximize yield? Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, and we'll be right back. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. 
Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. CNB, your local John Deere dealer, is committed to helping you in the field. The CNB Support Center brings you machine monitoring, remote diagnostics, and guidance from expert technology specialists all season long. Learn more about what the CNB Support Center can do for you at DeerEquipment.com. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids' area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Nothing but net. Win your soybean season with the fast knockdown and lasting broad spectrum control of Elevest Insect Control from FMC. Take on army worms, stink bugs, soybean loopers, and more with the maximized ratio of premier active ingredients for better overall control of more than 40 labeled pests. Visit your FMC retailer or elevest.ag.fmc.com to up your game this season. Always read and follow all label directions. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. What can you do to influence yield in your cornfields right now? It's our topic of today's Ag PhD radio program. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. We welcome your comments. We welcome your questions. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. Getting some pictures sent to us today, soil tests, plant tissue tests. It's a great way to send a lot of data in a, in a short order, that's for sure. Let's get back to our discussion here on influencing corn yield. Got Mike Probst with us right now with BASF. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing well out here in Illinois. How about yourself? Well, we're a little on the dry side. We had one of our fields caught rain the past week. Brian was complaining about our lack of rain earlier in the show, so I don't need to continue on with that. But we're a little dry here. You know, crop still looks pretty good. How about in Illinois? Uh, you and I are in the same club right now. We're also uh, uncomfortably dry, maybe the proper way to put it, and uh, also keeping an eye out on the forecast, hoping to see some rain come through and uh, help what is otherwise a, a pretty healthy corn crop out here. You know, we got corn that's in that V5 to V7 range. Sounds like about the same in Illinois. This timing for us has been one where, hey, that corn's starting to have some stress 
And relieving as much of that stress as possible can be a big deal as we're starting to determine what we're going to have for an ear in these corn plants. Seems hard to believe that we're already determining how many kernels are going to be on that ear, but that's the case right now. Yeah, that process starts very early in the the corn's life, so trying to keep it as stress-free as possible is is definitely important. And uh, I'll I'll agree that right now is a a time when we can start thinking about how we're going to influence that and and what we can do to, to improve it. I'm a, I'm a weeds guy by nature, so I always kind of default that uh, controlling those weeds during this crucial vegetative stage is always going to be very helpful, but uh, we're starting to transition into that, that conversation of how can we utilize some plant health fungicides as well. We've seen uh, a lot of folks have really good benefits from some vegetative stage applications and helping with some of those early season stresses or even holding back some of those early season diseases uh, seems to really set the table for, for good disease control for the rest of the year too. I agree with you on that. Let's talk about the herbicide application thing because we saw a lot of pre's go out and and probably the same thing happened in your area too that just didn't get very much rain on them. So I I don't think they're fully activated yet. In fact, I think we're probably going to see some of that come into play here as we catch these next rains. But if your pre didn't quite get completely working and you've got a few weed escapes here and there i know the temptation is well i want to get out there and and get them but if you're saying well i don't know if this is the right time we're kind of at the end for that aren't we when we get to that v5 v6 timing where we want to have all these applications done we're getting very close to the end of it yeah that's that's a question i've been getting a lot as well is uh, should i be spraying or should i wait and a lot of times that I'll answer that question that if, if you're not going to spray now, then, then when are you? Because we are getting to the end of that opportunity. And in my opinion, if you've got weeds out there that need controlled, then, then you don't really have much of a choice. We don't want them getting any further along or, or missing that opportunity to, to get good control. Uh, like you said, we did have some freeze that, that didn't get activated in some spots. I think in, in Illinois, we were pretty lucky that we got enough rain early in the year that, that, uh, helped us out. But one of the big questions I've been getting is on some post application residuals and, and whether they'll get activated. Uh, I will say there is some different choices that you can make. Uh, for example, BSF Zidua herbicide is uh, very, very stable on the soil surface. So even if we don't get that immediate rainfall to get it activated, for the most part, the vast majority of it does actually stick around to wait for that rain. So if you're trying to, to try to make some decisions based on maybe some lack of rainfall and what best fits the situation, that might be something that could be a little bit helpful at least. I know we're getting that question in soybeans too, that, man, it's going to be a little while before they're canopied and, and putting out some additional residual is important. So, of course, we talk about these group 15s. There are some slight differences between those group 15s, as you pointed out here, that we want something that we know it's going to lay on the surface for a while that can hang in there and wait for that rain to get it going. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I'll, I'll admit that BSF, we're, we're pretty lucky to have a, a couple of those options, the other one being Outlook, that tend to behave a little bit differently depending on preferences. You know, I talked about Zidua and how stable it is, but in the case of Outlook, it, it does bring a, a slightly different advantage that it only requires a quarter inch of rain to get activated. So we actually see a lot of people actually go with that route in the hopes that they do get one of those pop-up showers that uh, a few people here across the Midwest maybe were lucky enough to get there last week Uh, and if you went that route you might have gotten lucky and and got just enough to get that activated so I guess it kind of depends what your preferences are if you're looking for more stability in the lack of rainfall or whether you're looking for something that maybe gets activated a little bit quicker. 
Well, I'm with you, Mike. We got a lot of things going on and a lot of things that we can do to influence yield in corn. But if we don't control the weeds, I know what weeds do. <laughs> they, they're pulling in water. They're pulling in nutrients every day, and they are definitely hurting my yield. So uh, thanks for keeping that in the focus. I was thinking you were going to be talking fungicides all day long today, Mike, but I'm glad you brought the weed control in there because you're right. A lot of guys are really concerned about that right now. Yeah, sometimes uh, sometimes those weeds get overlooked as uh, some of our biggest yield robbers. Uh, not to not to take away from the diseases out there that are important too, but uh, we got to keep them all in mind. Absolutely. Well, Mike, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on today. All right. Thank you very much. Brian, there are so many things. I'm, I'm glad Mike brought up the weeds there because the, the first 12 inches of growth are so important for, for keeping fields weed-free and keeping them from taking away yield, shading out crop, all those types of things. Yeah, and then some of this is just, quite frankly, cultural practices in advance. And so we're going to talk about, I mean, we've been talking about in, in impacting corn yield today, but a lot of what's happening today in your crop was just the management practices you've had on your farm, not just this spring, but from last year, the year before that, the year before that. Think about on your farm, where did grandpa haul manure. Is that still some of your best ground? Where did grandpa put in drain tile or, I mean, just make overall improvements in your operation? So you see where I'm going with this. With farming, it's not all about, well, what have I done here in the last 30 days? And that's that's all that matters. No, sometimes it's years and years. It's decades, maybe even generations to make some of these massive changes on the farm. So you just got to stay at it. And I, I would also say, what does this tell you? This means don't get discouraged when, oh, I, I tried improving fertility or I just put some drain tile in and boy, all my salt problems haven't gone away or whatever it is. I, I'm, I'm just saying it takes time. So give it some time. But yeah, I mean, there are things you can do today if you want, whether it's foliar feeding, spraying a fungicide, spraying a herbicide. Uh, I mean, there, there are a wide variety of things. So just make sure you're scouting, you're actually looking at the fields, and then you're trying some different things too. So I know we're going to try a number of things on our farm this year, but just make sure when you try new stuff, you do it on a small scale. Don't do it on the whole farm. Try it in a small way because chances are there's a reason why you were doing things the way you had been doing them maybe the way dad or grandpa had been doing them uh, you know it, it might be you try five new things four out of them fail but if you can find one new thing that boy now you could implement that across your whole farm and make more money that would be awesome all right let's get to the egg phd mailbag First question comes from Doug. He said, good morning, guys. Uh, recently, I heard you are looking to give out some scholarships. Uh, can you talk about your scholarship event and how students can participate? Yeah, so it's really pretty easy. Not a lot of hoops to jump through or anything else. Just go to our website at agphd.com and you can learn more about our scouting and scholarships event. It's always the last Saturday in June. So this year, that's Saturday, June 24th. I don't care where you live. Doesn't matter. It's just if this summer or this fall, you will be attending a post-secondary school. So that could be a college, a Votech, a university, whatever. That That's really all you need to be eligible. And then you'll have to be at our Scouting and Scholarships event for the whole day and take a, a real short quiz at the end. But 
yeah, we're going to give away over 100 college scholarships that day. Or I call them college, but again, post-secondary scholarships that day. So we're really excited about this event. We've always focused on education, and, and this is an educational event. I mean, we're going to take everybody out into the fields, do a lot of hands-on training. We'll have a bunch of different stations. Uh, we got lots of stuff to go through during the day. It's going to be a lot of fun. And if you are, let's just say, beyond your college years, you can still attend. In fact, we'd love to have you bring someone. I, I mean, bring a bring a child, bring a grandchild, whatever. That'd be awesome. Spend the day with them talking agriculture again. Scouting and scholarships. Go to agphd.com to learn more. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. 360 Yield Saver pays back fast. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. For a 12-row corn head, harvesting 2,000 acres of corn, you'd spend $7,200 on the yield savers. Those replacement gathering chains cut header loss by 80%. With today's corn prices, the grain you save will pay for the investment of 360 yield saver in less than 600 acres. This crop is too valuable to leave bushels in the field due to header loss. Put that extra grain back in your tank with 360 yield saver. The hardworking independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example. Talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event Saturday, June 24th, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Join us as we head into the field for hands-on sessions covering everything from how to pull soil and plant tissue tests, ways to improve crop health, the importance of microbiology and farming, and much more. Plus, in our comprehensive guide to crop scouting, we'll explore both above and below ground in a variety of crops as we diagnose problems with insects, weeds, diseases, and anything else we may find. As we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees, this day is geared more towards students and young farmers. But anyone with the desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. So whether you're a college student or just want the good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day. It's Saturday, June 24th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Ah, we're 
were talking about all the things you can do to influence yield right now in cornfields, and there are a ton. There's a lot of positive things you can do. There's some negative ones. Brian and I were just talking about a study we're going to do to look at timing and, and different additives and how they're impacting yield. So you do want to be cautious, especially when you get to V6 and beyond. You've got the growing point of corn above ground, so leads to some potential issues. Uh, all right, one thing in corn that came up this year that, that was kind of interesting, and this one came from Matt from Iowa, and he said, guys, had a number of things going on out in fields, and we had talked about this before, but he had tips of leaves that were turning yellow. Now he gave some more information, and he said they went out, they did notice a couple of patterns out there with the yellow tips out in fields, and he said all of the fields were showing it in places. They did have to replant about 49 acres due to poor emergence. But he said what they did differently on the replant corn that isn't showing any of that deficiency is they just didn't use infurrow products. Maybe they were overdoing some of the infurrow stuff and causing some issues. It didn't really look like it to me. It was fairly low rates of, of fertilizer and, and some plant growth hormones and stuff like that. Honestly, what I think, because we do still think, hey, maybe it is magnesium. And in his plant tissue analysis, the magnesium levels were about half or two-thirds of what they would normally expect. But what what you need to understand is two things with magnesium. Number one, it's not super available when it's real cold. And you think about how cold it was when planting was happening. Now, I realize the last two weeks of May were super warm. So you might say, well, it's been warm forever. No, it hasn't been warm that long. So, I, I mean, let's see. It looks like uh, May part of 31. It, part of it, they've been super dry, he mentioned. He said, yep. we did get a three-inch hard rain after planting, but overall it's been dry since. And he was thinking on that magnesium, like you say that. He said, do you feel like we need to raise our parts per million in the nope. soil? Or nope. we just need to apply some Epsom salt right now, some magnesium sulfate, well, to well, try to, okay. to perk it up. Okay, but again, magnesium is not very available when it's cold. When it's warm, it's fine. Think about grass tetany out in pastures okay that completely goes away once you get to june every year at least in our region so once it warms up oh everything's fine now here's the other thing with magnesium it's not very available when your ph is five he's got two fields well one where it's five on a ph and the other it's 5.2 now here's my concern okay we're because right away as soon as you say five we go whoa 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 that is bad you're probably losing 10 to 20 percent of your corn yield right there You've got to get that pH up. Our, we like to see low sixes. Okay, low sixes, you're plenty good. Uh, and we don't ever lime when the pH is six or greater. But here's the other thing with that. Don't just have one test. So, for example, he said a 75-acre field. Okay, honestly, at a bare minimum, I'm going to tell you, you got to have five-acre grids. But really, I'd love to see you have one-acre grids if you're going to do any liming. And you're probably going to say, oh, that's way over the top and it's too much and it's too expensive. It's not expensive at all. It's like $12 to run a Malik 3 test and you can find out what your pH is every single acre. So so you might say, well, $12 an acre. Yeah, but don't forget, you're only going to soil test once every four years or something like that. So now divide it out. Now do the math and you go, oh, it's $3 a year. That's it. But here's the reason why you want to do this. We screwed this up on our farm, and it cost us an unbelievable amount of money because we put lime in areas where it shouldn't have been. Then we raised the pH up into the sevens. 
so that cost us yield. Then we had to spend money in elemental sulfur to get the pH back down. So we spent money on lime we didn't need to, cost ourselves yield, and then we had to spend more money on uh, on elemental sulfur to drive the pH back down. So it probably cost us on the acres where we put the lime and shouldn't have, I don't know, at least a couple hundred bucks an acre, at least. <laughs> I'm willing to invest $12 to find out so I don't screw up on 200 or more. So anyway, that that those are my concerns. So so yeah, I believe the problem. He, all he had was on the lower lowest leaves of the plant. He had a little bit of yellowing on some of the leaf tips. So we'll also see this where the ground is compacted. Now, when if you look at it, his cation exchange capacity here twenty five, twenty six, twenty eight. It's heavy soil. So is there a chance that compaction could be occurring? Yep, there's certainly a chance. So, I mean, these are all things to consider on why you may have had the problem out there. But in the future, if you're really that worried about it, you can add a little magnesium into your uh, into your starter fertilizer if you wanted to. Yeah, it would do, not take or do much. Some, or do some strips and just right. see what you see. If that is the difference, great. That's cool to have found it. And if not, then so be it. Yeah. I, I think and, the lime... The low pH soil to me just is something I would correct first and try and get that right and right. then just see where you go from there because right. maybe some of the other problems will kind of cure themselves up. Yeah, but no, I'm not going to put a whole bunch of magnesium out there because you have heavy soil. You have magnesium parts per million in the range of 340 to 573 and your base saturation is 11 up to 18. Now, when you're liming though, I would just say... I, I almost hate to tell you to go with a dolomitic lime there, but we don't want to get too carried away driving it too high to calcium and too little to magnesium. So that's, there's a fine line you're walking. But on, on the one field where you have a 6.3 pH, you're all the way up to 18% magnesium. That is, that's more than what we would like on a, a 26 CEC ground. We'd like that down at 12, and that's where you are on those other couple fields. So be a little careful with the lime that you pick. I'm probably not going to pick a dolomitic lime, and you don't need a ridiculous amount of lime to get yourself back in shape, but I, I would probably be starting there. All right. Thanks for the questions. Thanks for all the info that you sent back, too. It's clear you guys are putting in the work trying to figure this thing out, trying to do the best you can. So good luck to you. Uh, get this one from Taylor, who said, Guys, I got a question regarding weed control in non-GMO corn and soybeans. I've got deer food plots, and I have planted them May 20th. I sprayed Roundup and Dual 2 the same day. There's rain in the forecast when I planted, but it hasn't rained since then. Uh, so I looked at the plots yesterday, and there's good germination, but there's weeds that are starting to come. Water hemp and some grasses scattered around right now. And I'm guessing that weed growth is going to explode. So I'm curious, will residual from the dual kill emerged weeds once it rain, once it rains? And also, what are my post-emerge burndown options for both conventional corn and soybeans? I would love it if the option was the same in the corn and the soybeans to kill the water <laughs> hemp, but no, it probably isn't. Uh, yep, we can all we can all dream though. Okay, so first of all, is the dual gone? Let's talk about that. Dual has a greater chance of breaking down with sunlight than many of the other group 15s. But even so, is there still some of that dual out there and probably a lot of it? Yes. Is it going to kill emerged weeds? Well, it would take a massive rain. I've seen it on our own farm, dual, where we had quarter inch 
tall. I don't know that it would be half inch tall, but definitely quarter inch tall grass. I mean, fairly thick. Got a big rain. I'm talking like two to three inches and it wiped it all out. So it's possible. At this point, though, it's really probably not likely. So how are you going to kill water, hemp, and grass in conventional corn? A lot of people will go out there with Laudus because they think that's a little bit better than like a generic Miso or Callisto or even Impact on grass. I don't think there's that big a difference. But if you wanted to do that, you could. That'd be the cheapest way to go. And if it's a food plot, that's probably what I would do. Laudus and a half a pound of Atrazine and some crop oil and hope for the best. Otherwise, I mean, accent would kill the grass and status is the very best thing on water hemp, but both of those things cost lots of money. So yeah, I'm probably going loudest and atrazine. All right, you can't use any of that stuff in soybeans. Post-emerge in soybeans, best thing for water hemp is probably Flexstar and post-emerge for grass, super easy and cheap clethodim. All right. Thanks for the question, Taylor. Good luck to you. Got this one in from Doug. He said, guys, I hear you mention about weed control a lot and pasture management was your episode recently. You mentioned some, one of you mentioned that goats will eat everything. And you know what? I raise goats. They will. But here's the problem. They eat the most productive, nutritious plants first and those undesirable mm. ones last. And rotational <laughs> yep. grazing only helps a little bit. So one thing I was just going to give you a heads up on, weed wipers. If you just have a herbicide yep. wiper, you could use that in almost any crop or pasture situation to take out tough weeds. Tall hey, th- tough weeds, yep. yes. Hey, thanks, Doug. We appreciate that. And you're, you're right. We do mention using wipers occasionally on the show, but glad you brought it up again. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hard-working Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual-mode-of-action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hard-working control in your fields. Always read and follow all label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids' area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more, and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. 
Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel bin full of corn, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 1,000 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we get a lot of pictures sent to us. And if you've got a picture of something going on in your field, sometimes we can help you with that. It's radio at Ag PhD if you want to send it in. Sometimes the picture is tough to see. So do your best. Look at the pictures again and, and make sure they, they make sense and you can see what you're trying to communicate. We got a picture of some grass and it looks a little unfamiliar to me, Brian. This one came in from John over in Minnesota. He said, I'm, I'm stumped with what this weed is. It seems to be a perennial that spreads by rhizomes and it's growing out in a wheat field. I'm just curious. We did some tillage trying to, to knock it out the best we could, but of course it's got rhizomes so we know it's going to come back. What do you do with perennial grasses like this in a wheat crop? Yeah, so first of all, I couldn't tell for sure what grass it was. They said no oracles, but boy, it really looked like quack grass to me, which would have oracles. Anyway, uh, doesn't really matter. In wheat, if the grass is already big, even if it wasn't, what are you going to do? There's almost nothing you can do. Everest 3.0 is probably about the best on, on some of those, but it's just going to burn it back a little bit. You just want to get some grass herbicide out there, do the best you can. But in the future, you really need to burn it down prior to doing any kind of tillage or seeding or anything because perennial grasses are impossible to get rid of in an existing wheat crop. Impossible. And especially where they showed us the height of that, I mean, there's just no chance. Roundup would be the best thing, and obviously you can't be using that in wheat. Let me just say this, too, because you might go, well, it'll be no big deal. I'll plant corner beans, and I'll, I'll get it with Roundup. Well, hopefully, but you can't use an unlimited amount of Roundup in corner beans. So that's where it may take multiple shots. You have to use the full labeled rate. And really our preference is let's get it under control before that. So after the wheat crop is off, then I'd go out and I would be spraying a high rate, a very high rate of Roundup once you get some regrowth on that perennial grass. And then just make sure it's under control well into the fall and as long as it is then you should be in good shape going into next year but yeah it's a it's a tough deal it happens to to all of us where sometimes you don't you weren't expecting some weed to be out there it is you already had a plan and <laughs> then then you go uh oh uh now what do i do well you're probably going to take a little bit of a yield hit this year that's just the way it is do the best you can and uh, and hit it with roundup later 
right. Thanks for the question. Uh, I get this one in from Larry. He said, guys, I was listening to your show. You're talking about alfalfa and weed control, and I've got Roundup-ready alfalfa. We've got some weeds that Roundup is not getting. What can I mix with the Roundup to knock out some of these resistant weeds? Wait, wait, but he doesn't say which weeds? Uh, Nope. Okay. Just, okay. So, right. so is it going to be broadleaves or is it going to be grass? Well, Most yeah. likely, it's going to be broadleaf weeds. Yeah, it's it's going to be broadleaf weeds. I'm sure. You only have three choices, so it's a very short conversation. You got raptor, you got buckthorn, and you got butyrac. And butyrac, you can only use an ounce or two, or it gets too hot. That's butyrac, by the way, is two four D B. That's two four D that they designed for beans and then realized, oh, that burns the heck out of them too. So. Yeah, one to two ounces is the most on butyrac you can use, and typically people add that to either raptor or buckthorn. So buckthorn is real good on lamb's quarters. Eh, it's got a little activity on kochia. It's good on cocklebur, sunflower, not a whole lot else. Raptor is an ALS herbicide, so that's not going to kill ALS-resistant weeds like kochia, water hemp, palmer pigweed, and a number of others. So that's all you got. And this is why we, we talk a lot with... Roundup, where we want two things. Number one, as thick a stand as you can get with fantastic fertility. We want to choke those weeds out. And two, start with Eptam always. When you seed that alfalfa, you got to start with Eptam. And if your field gets so weedy and you can't get ahead of the weeds, it's time to rip it up, start over again. I wish I had better answers for you, but that's about it. Now, let me say this too. A lot of people believe that, just like he said there, resistant weeds. A lot of people believe all their weeds are resistant to Roundup. That is not true. There are a lot that are not resistant. And you will find that if you're out there spraying when the weeds are a half inch tall or less, um, even those weeds that you may say are resistant, they still die. What we find is there isn't a lot of Roundup resistance out there. There's a lot of Roundup tolerance, and the plant gets more tolerant as it gets bigger. So spray your weeds when they're really small with the Roundup, and hopefully just that will work. Otherwise, again, you could add Raptor, Buckthrill, or Butyrac. Now, if by some off chance that you have resistant grass, Clethodim is the way to go in alfalfa. That'll be great and is fairly inexpensive. All right. Thanks for the questions. Uh, Brian, get some soil tests here. These are from Clark County, South Dakota, and we've got some first cousins that are up there in Clark County, South Dakota, so we know that ground fairly well. And an aunt and uncle. Uh, take a look. Uh, on, he's asking about nitrogen. He goes, uh, I've got access to it. I've got a local agro-liquid dealer. I'm curious what I could use to address my nitrogen shortage. Uh, also other foliar products I may consider. It's my first year farming this ground. And he sent in soil tests on about seven fields. And I noticed there's some massive drainage issues on three of them. Uh, one in particular has got 10% base saturation sodium in it. Not, nothing else is even close to that bad. But you get some challenges up there. And I know uh, our relatives have done some drainage work up there. And, and I know other farmers in that county that might be something you take a look at, especially on uh, the the one field what? there that was, was it west of the barn or something? West field. pasture. So why did you say, before we answer this question, why did you say there were three that had drainage issues? Well, just I was just looking at uh, the ones that had high CECs over 30. And then I was looking at the sulfur parts per million. One, the worst one. I mean, there's one that's just way worse than anything else. Uh, but I'm just worried that maybe a couple others are going to get that way too. Could but be. there's one that had 800 parts per million of sulfur. And that's a pretty good sign and had a couple parts per million of boron. But there, there wasn't much to the question. I know Justin wasn't asking about the, the drainage or anything at this point. He's just 
trying to raise a crop this year and, and get started. Yeah, but it's one of those things where if you invest in some tile in the right spots, then you can really help yourself moving forward. And I mean, at a 10 on sodium, that feels dead or that area is dead. I, I, I mean, let me just let me restate that. It's not going to raise hardly any crop. So I look at that soil as it's on its way to being completely dead. You got to stop that. Now, we have one soil test for each field. So we're big believers in one acre soil test grids, and I mean, or at least five acre grids. Do something more so we find out, okay, where do we actually have a real bad problem? Okay, but back to his question on nitrogen. Um, he, he basically said... Is is there an agroliquid product to help my lack of nitrogen? Yeah, of course. I mean, they have all kinds of different nitrogen products. You can talk to them. Um, and so does every other fertilizer company out there. Lots of different nitrogen products uh, and foliar applied products. So here's the thing. If we're, and he's, here's, he's, he first of all only has a test zero to six inch. We would like a deeper nitrate test at this time of year. We want to find out what's really down in that soil, especially when it's heavy soil and dry a dry area like here in South Dakota. So he's only showing 13, 16 pounds. The, bit, the most is 23 pounds, and the organic matter isn't super high. It's 2.5 to, there is one that's 4%. So you're going to get some out of your organic matter. You're going to get 50. You might luck out and get 100 pounds out of the where you have the most organic matter. But my point is, you're going to need a fair amount of nitrogen for your corn. Now, this doesn't say corn. It, um, I don't think it says some anywhere. Some say corn and some oh, one say beans. Does say, yeah, oh, yeah. And the one says wheat. So that's the reason why. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now I see where we're going. So, yeah, there are some. Well, there are only two that are marked for corn and one does say wheat. So, anyway. My point is, especially for corn, if let's say you're going for 200 bushel corn, you got to have over 200 total pounds of nitrogen out there. You're going to get some out of the organic matter. You have very little in the soil right now, and we don't know if you've applied anything else. But to think that you're going to go out with a foliar product that's going to give you 50 to maybe as much as 100 pounds of nitrogen, that no possible chance. You can get a little bit out there. So that's where Typically with nitrogen in both wheat and corn, we're going to talk about getting some on the soil. In wheat, we talk stream bars. In corn, I don't care if you drag hoses, use Y-drops, you inject nitrogen. Somehow, some way, you're going to have to get all those pounds onto the soil. And so anyway, I guess that's what I would say. I'm not a big fan of doing uh, urea over the top. We like liquid um, we just feel it's a little bit safer using that, and then I don't have to worry about the leaf burn or anything on the corn. So I'm not a big fan of top dressing. I'd probably just uh, inject some nitrogen or drag hoses or something like that. So, yeah, you're going to need some N for sure. Hey, thanks for the questions. Good luck to you farming uh, in that county too. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.